Welcome to the program, everybody. You just stepped inside of Psychotic Bump School, the place where education and entertainment meet at the intersection of funk and soul. My name is DJ Rome, and I want to welcome you to another exciting edition of Psychotic Bump School. So, ladies and gentlemen, tonight we have an amazingly full show covering the full spectrum from end to end, y'all. Oh, we have an exciting lineup. We got about five people coming to the school tonight. One person's here for the very first time. In fact, two of them are here for the very first time. So check out this lineup. We're going to have our good brother, Mr. Hannibal Taboo, coming back. And this time he's going to be joined by his incredible illustrator, Mr. Damar Douglas. That's right. Hannibal and Damar are going to be talking about their latest project through Operative.net. That's uh, Hannibal's um, uh, founding uh, comic book company and entity. Operative.net is putting forth DeMar Douglas and this amazing project he's doing with Hannibal called False Flag. So I'm here to hear all about their collaboration and their future plans for Operative.net. That's Hannibal Taboo and DeMar Douglas joining us this evening on Psychotic Bump School. We're also going to have Lori Peacock and Jeffrey Keller coming back through the school tonight. You know, we always have a good time with Lori and Jeff, but we're going to be talking about the latest in politics, ranging from the Olympics to uh, Ohio Senate races, upcoming bills in the house and the senate and the congress and infrastructure and politics and vaccination we're going to be covering it all with Lori and jeff and also it's my honor to welcome r&b singer vince durrell that's right he has a summer jam that he's put out there but he's also one third of a trio that is actually riding the charts at number one in the uk that's right they have the number one song on the uk soul chart right now song called pray for rain they're actually outselling jimmy jam and terry lewis and mary j blige y'all that's going to be our lineup so you might want to call your friends and family to the radio or the computer because we are about to set it off so this is kcwgthetruth.com my name is dj rome welcome to psychotic bump school stay tuned for more we're going to kick off our show with Lori peacock and jeffrey keller after this yeah, this is Jeff Keller from the Pocho Hour Power on KPFK 90.7 FM, and you're listening to the Psychotic Bump School with your host, DJ Rome, on KCWGTheTruth.com, the best internet radio station on the planet. Oh, yeah.
Okay, we are back. KCWG, the truth.com's program's called Psychotic Bump School. I'm DJ Rome. And ladies and gentlemen, we're coming off an historic Tokyo Olympics for 2021. The news cycle has just been full of stories that would just blow your mind. The, the range and the, the, the depth of the debate about vaccinations. We've had celebrity passings. We've had just about a little bit of everything. We had a local election in Ohio that I want to talk about. And we have an infrastructure bill uh, that's gotten through the Senate, y'all. And uh, I want to talk about it a little bit. And we have a couple of our wonderful panelists that have joined us multiple times. So, ladies and gentlemen, please help me welcome back to Psychotic Bump School, our good sister, Lori Peacock, and our inimitable good brother, Mr. Jeffrey Keller. Lori, Jeff, are you back? We are back. Yes, sir. Well, welcome on back, you Southern California wonderful all-star baseball-loving peoples. Man. Wow. Hey, Jeff, did you see um, over the weekend, uh, Lori, you probably caught this too, we had a lot of people pass away. Uh, Richard Trumka, uh, he was a labor guy. We lost him. We lost two major figures in the world of music, Paul Johnson. Um, he was a, a producer and a, a DJ. I believe out of Chicago, uh, we lost Kelly Han, DJ K Hand. She was the first lady of Detroit techno music. Kelly Han passed away. Uh, I don't know if y'all were into the TV show Night Court. Uh, Marky yes, Post. Marky Post. Wasn't she like a, a, a teenage heartthrob back in the day? <laughs> I mean, I don't remember. Did either of y'all watch uh, Night Court coming up? I never watched. Yeah. Didn't watch it, but I remember her, and she did other stuff too. She right. passed away. She passed yeah. away. She oh, gone. Gosh. She gone. She gone. You know, the older the older we get, and, and, and what's crazy is that when the icons of my youth start to pass away, it just shines a spotlight on my own mortality. Right. You know, I mean, it's like, wait a minute, they they yeah. were so young, right? How could they yep. be gone? You know, and and people that you remember from. In your childhood not being that much older than you you know right. so it's yeah a shame. it is it brings it right on home <clears throat> jeffrey keller I'm, I'm a toss i mean i'm i know you follow college hoops and football a lot more than i do but uh florida state football coach bobby bowden passed away he was 91 years old though and i'm not sure uh how um renowned that football program was at florida state uh how closely did you follow the career of uh college football coach bobby bowden jeffrey keller uh yeah he turned florida state around um mm. you know he did a great job i mean he brought on he brought in dion and, and, and all them wow um but on, but really the person that that passed away uh this weekend uh, was a friend of mine, Kelly Jackson. Yes, sir. Uh, out of uh, Atlanta. She was married to Maynard Jackson's son. Wow. And did a lot of work with the King Foundation. Uh, she worked in government, fought for civil rights. She fought for the rights to vote, uh, was a speech writer for a lot of Black politicians out there in Georgia. And so she passed mm. away this weekend. Uh, Wow. Just an awesome person, uh, Kelly Jackson. Man, my condolences. She was a good friend of yours, was she not? Yes. Man, I'm sorry for your loss, man. Sorry for your loss. Uh, one more. I'm sorry to put you through this. Uh, and then we're going to um, talk about our particulars for this discussion. Trevor Moore, a comedian, actor, writer, producer, 
Uh, he was a co-founder of the sketch comedy group, The Whitest Kids You Know. He died in an accident um, this past Friday. He was only 41 years old. Trevor Moore uh, passed away. I'm not too familiar with Trevor Moore, Mr. Keller, in the world of comedy. I don't know how often his name travels up to the top of the heap and uh, amongst comedians, but um, he passed away too, Mr. Keller and Lori. So, wow. Lost the yeah. process, right? And then I just heard, I think one of the founding members of Cool and the Gang just passed away. Oh my God. Good as catch, well. Lori. Yes. Yeah. D.T. Thomas. Now, we just paid tribute to Ronald Bell a few months ago. So, Ronald yeah. Bell, Dennis Thomas, uh, the gentleman from War, uh, B.B. Dickerson. Oh my God. It, it, it's been quite a year. I mean, of course, we've been covering Bismarcky and uh dmx and shock g of digital underground uh black rob oh my god this is uh, uh, this is crazy and then also uh last week um comedian tony baker's uh son died in a car crash uh he was 21 and um some kids were racing and ran into him and yeah killed hmm. him Wow. Oh, is that the one that just happened the other day out in yeah. the bank? Oh, yeah. You knew them too? Uh, Tony Baker, yeah, I know Tony. He's a comedian. Uh, a good guy. Wow. It, was, it was a rough week. It was a rough week. It's been a rough week. It's been a rough 2021. Well, may they all uh, rest in paradise and may their families have grace during this transitional time. Uh, the week has been also sprinkled with news stories happening in politics, y'all. Uh, did y'all happen to catch that special election in Ohio between Nina Turner and Chantel Brown? Chantel Brown, the unknown local stalwart, Chantel Brown defeated and uh, upended the hopes of Nina Turner. Mm -hmm. uh, the infrastructure bill, uh, Jeff and Lori. The Senate, Jeffrey Keller, uh, Lori, has famously told us that it's Joe Biden's stock and trade, so he says, to bring both sides together. It's like, if we're gonna work in a bipartisan way, Joe Biden has to figure out a way to do it. Well, guess what? A Senate infrastructure bill has just uh, cleared cloture, as they say, which means that they can end discussion on it, they can end debate, and now it looks like it's gonna pass and come out of the Senate, and uh, likely it's going to head back to the House to for final markups or write-ups from the House of Representatives and Nancy Pelosi. We might have a bipartisan infrastructure bill. They cleared the 60-vote filibuster, 67 to 27. They said it wasn't possible for him to get that many votes. But in order to get that many votes, who knows what was lost? Jeff and Lori, we have a bipartisan infrastructure bill that came out of the Senate. What are your thoughts on this? I think it's fantastic. And I think that Biden, in his short you know, short amount of time that he has been president has done so much more in this short amount of time than Trump ever did in his four years. Mm. And as far as positively moving the, the country forward, and he's got a big hole that he's got to dig him, dig us out of because of the damage that Trump did. So, you know, yeah. the fact that we're even, you know, that this is even happening right now is, is so monumental. And, you know, I mean, who, who doesn't need positive infrastructure, right? You drive down the freeway, you're like, gosh, we need work. This needs help, right? Oh, so yes. um, so hopefully, you know, because it's something that is so important and so valuable and so needed in our society, you know, that's why they're 
Republicans were willing to work with him and, and work through this. And, you know, again, you don't know what's going on on the back end, right? You don't know what kind of, like you said, what kind of deals are being made in order for this to happen, but I'm excited about it. I'm looking forward to seeing what, what can be done and seeing what Biden can continue to do. Uh, how concerned are you about sending your kids back to school this fall, knowing that the numbers from this Delta variant um, are spiking again? I'm so ready for my kids to go back to school and they're ready to go back to school. Um, so, and they're both vaccinated. Um, so I'm, I'm hoping, you know, that they'll, that, that, that the vaccine will work and that they will be okay going back to school. Um, they're they're going to have to wear masks and I'm fine with that, you know, but you know, there's districts out here in, in Southern California and Orange County that are, that are suing, you know, the, 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 the governor as far as, you know, for ma- not wanting to, their kids to have to wear masks in school. Yeah. And, um, you know, I, I just think it's so irresponsible. I, I, masks are not comfortable, right? They're not comfortable. When I put one on, I get all sweaty on my upper lip. Oh, it's I hate disgusting, them. Right? It's I hate awful. Them. Yeah. It's awful. But, but, you know, I'll put on the darn mask, you know, and wear the mask if that's what is going to help me and help others be safe. Right. So, and, you know, and I don't have a problem with my kids wearing masks in school because, you know, that's what they need to do so that they can actually be in person. I'd rather they be in person wearing a mask than be sitting behind a computer in my house, not wearing one. That's right. So, you know, these, these parents that are all up in arms about this and, you know, making this big scene about it and, you know, kids are getting COVID now in in much larger numbers, younger kids that are dying and dying. dying. Yeah. And, you know, so it's not, this Delta variant, we don't know. And then there could be another one. I, I think there's going to be another one and it's maybe going to not even, you know, work with, with the vaccine and who knows what's going to happen. I just don't want another lockdown. But as far as schools going and and kids and everything being back in, I think, um, you know, I think that they take all the precautions that they're saying they're going to take as far as temperature checks and and all and testing and all of that. I think we'll, I'm hoping we'll be OK. Yeah, I don't know. Um where I'm at, Lori, you make a good point because I don't even know if they're going to be doing those screenings anymore. But that was like last week. But see, things are changing so fast again. Things are spiking up again, mm-hmm. yeah. fast again, that they're probably going to reinstitute that by the time the first day of instruction comes. And ours, th- th- our first day is coming up soon. You guys are in Southern Cal, so you still have a few more weeks to go before the first day of instruction, right? Yes. Uh, well, every district, yeah, next, every district next is week. different. So instruction yeah. starts where you are in your area, Mr. Keller? Is next week? Next week. Yeah. Uh, no, I mean, a, a week from Monday. Right. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what yeah, I Yeah, a week from about. Monday. But yeah, as, as far as Florida, I mean, they, they, hey, they love to break records. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> yeah, they you do. know, last week they broke, I mean, yesterday went, they had, what, 23,903 new cases. Crazy. How's that, uh, how's that, uh, that, that mask, uh, against mask uh, mandate working for you mm-hmm. DeSantos. Yeah. It's not working. You know, it's 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 crazy. I mean, this is what's crazy to me about about white folks like that is in DeSantos. Let's be he thinks he's white. Um <laughs> the, the, they like covering their face to go skiing, you know, for fun stuff to go to mm. go snorkeling. They like to cover their face when they commit a crime, don't want nobody to see it. Uh-oh. But to but to to cover their face to help people are like, nah, I'm against that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, <come>. mm-hmm. <laughs> well, let's just be real, right? They right. like they never covered their face before. You cover your face all the damn time. All the time. Look, look yeah. at this guy right here. Uh Lori, I'm gonna get your thought right now. Uh this guy was a radio host 
for Newsmax uh, Network just passed away. One of those people out there who um, accused Dr. Fauci of being a lying freak. Uh, Newsmax is way, way, way to the right of Fox News. Right, Jeff? I mean, they're, they're extreme. He's yep. gone. He's gone. Dick Farrell, gone from his hospital bed, begging people to go get vaccinated. Begging. He just mm-hmm. passed away. Just passed away. Laura, your thoughts? Well, absolutely. And 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 I hear what Jeffrey's saying as far as, you know, these people continuing it along. But but Trump started it. He started it. And they followed suit with him. And had he like, had he come out differently from the beginning and and and, and listened to the scientists and not not um, made fun of them and and debase them, you know, then we would be in a different situation. We would absolutely be in a different situation right now. And I don't think as many people would have died as a result of this, this virus. Um, you know, it's just, it's just a shame. And there are, they, they, there are always going to be people that buck the system. Right. But I think that when you have strong leadership backed by science, I think that we would have had a lot more people that, that would be wanting to get vaccinated and wanting to wear the mask and wanting to follow the protocols necessary. To, to keep other people alive right? and themselves. And it is, they're, they're begging. These people are begging from their deathbeds. You know, can I get the vaccine? Nope, too late. And it's like, you know, and, and, and I, I, I do feel bad for them. You know, I, I do feel bad for them because I don't wish death on people, you know, no matter how crummy they are. And, um, you know, it's, it's a shame. It's a shame because it's preventable. You know, it's preventable. Oh, man. Well, in brighter news, uh, before I let y'all go, the Olympics. How about the comeback of Simone Biles? Wasn't that great? She went from struggling with her mental health and she ended up getting a bronze medal on the balance beam. Um, I honestly actually did not see that routine, but I heard it was very scaled back compared to the degree of difficulty she's normally known for. She just wanted to get through the doggone routine. And even scaling back, she's still great. And she said this bronze medal might be her most treasured one out of all the golds. Imagine mm-hmm. that. What a comeback story. I also saw something on Tamara Mensa. What, what's the sister's name that won the uh, the wrestling gold? Um, oh, yeah. Oh, my God. She I mean, her interview afterward. Oh, man, she's such a sweetheart. She's such a sweetheart. One wrestling, the first black woman to win a gold in wrestling. And uh, I better get her name right. But before we go, but we're we're in closing ceremony time for the Olympics for 2021. Um, did they make any of you proud on this call right now? Uh, not only just Simone Biles, but the track and field. I was worried about men's track and field, but I think they ended up getting the gold too, right, Jeff? And, uh, four uh, by four, yeah. Yeah, they, I was worried about them, man. Uh, before I let y'all go, any final thoughts on uh, the Tokyo Olympic Games for 2021? How did it make you feel? Did it, did it give you the feels as an American, as a black person? Uh, the, did they represent us well in these 2021 Olympic Games? Uh, yeah, I really don't care. <laughs> I really don't care. Jeffrey Keller is wearing the Melania Trump <laughs> message on the back of his shirt right now. You know, I really don't care, DJ Ron. Yeah, I'm going really to tell you why, care. man. I'm tell you why. <laughs> you know, being an ex-NFL ex player, right, mm. uh, I love to watch people compete. And, and the thing is, the media just blows everything out of, out of proportion, right? Mm-hmm. Like the Simone Biles thing. I, I was so confused. I'm like, is it mental health or does she have the twisties? 
Mm-hmm. I mean, which, which one is it? Mm-hmm. Right? Because first they said mental health. Then she goes, oh, no, I had the twisties. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's just hard for me being an athlete like that. Like, I'm like, pressure? You That's being an athlete. Your whole life is pressure. You've mm-hmm. already been through the Olympics. You've won gold. You just got done qualifying, being the best. Mm-hmm. What's What happened? I mean, they never said... You know, they never really said they just said mental health, but they didn't say what it was. Yes, or if yes. they did, or if they did, I missed it. And then they said the twisties. So I'm like, well, mm-hmm. which is it? Is it mental health or the twisties? I was confused. It can't be both. No. <laughs> See, that's what I think. I think it's both. No. It's I think, not both. Um, oh man. I think maybe the twisties is mental. And Roman, I talked about this before because I, at first, I was not happy about the Simone Biles thing. I was like, "How are <laughs> you going to check to, out?" Lori was ready to go to Tokyo and say, "Look, uh, sis, you gotta." <laughs> <laughs> I was like, "You gotta perform, girl. Like this is what it's all about." And, and you know, and for her to be like, "Oh, you know, I can't do it," but then that you know, too much pressure. But then that put extra pressure on her teammates, and that was okay. Right. Mm-hmm. It was OK for her for them to have to bear the extra load, but not OK for her to have to pull her weight. I, I had I had issues with it. I really did. Jeff, and, I was um, surprised. It, Lori was going hard on Simone Biles. I was a little I surprised. was. I was. I was like, what the heck, girl? Like, this is what you do. This is what you do. Right. Like mm. you, you rise to the occasion and you you, you do it. But, you know, then after doing more research, talking to Rome, reading more stuff, you know, more articles, hearing about it, it was like, you know, I understand um, where she was coming from and, and for her to put her, her physical safety in, in, you know, at the forefront, because you're flying through the air, you're doing all this stuff. You could easily injure yourself, paralyze yourself, kill yourself. So, you know, if she was concerned about her, her, her physical health as a result of her mental health, then that makes sense. But again, I, I like you, Jeffrey, I was like, wait a minute, that's what you do. You're, you're an Olympian. You're you're yeah. you're an Olympian. You 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 don't just check out midway Jeff, through. Lori, I'm I'm picturing Jeff right now saying, "Look, I don't care." <laughs> look, look it, look it. This is my okay. I'm going to tell you. This is my deal with pressure, and this is why I tell kids all the time: you can't see pressure, you can't measure pressure. Something is you create it, right? Mm-hmm. Usually, when somebody says they're under too much pressure, it tells me one of two things: they're either not ready to perform right or they don't Mm -hmm. feel like they can reach the levels that people expect them to be Mm. okay the performance see but pressure like like a coach told me one time playing football what's it in between playing in front of one person or a hundred thousand people right it's still a game you're still catching the ball you're still running the routes it's mm-hmm. what you create in your mind. This is KCWGTheTruth.com's program. It's called Psychotic Bump School. I'm DJ Rome. Uh, we're chatting with uh, the inimitable Lori Peacock and our good brother, Mr. Jeffrey Keller. We're breaking down uh, the week in politics. Uh, we, we've taken it from local elections all the way to the Senate and the government. And now we're concluding with the uh, Olympic Games. And um, we're talking about the triumph over adversity. Uh, which is the uh, the agony, the thrill of victory 
and the agony of defeat. Uh, <laughs> I need my uh, Olympic rings and my skiers going and falling oh and cascading down the uh, the ski slope. But see, that's what people want, Jeff. They want to see that meltdown. They want to see people crash and burn. They want to see uh, people risk it all. They want to see people go to the brink of destruction and fight back like Rocky Balboa getting pummeled by Clubber Lang and just say, <laughs> go for it. Go for it. I ain't going down no more. Now, see, they want you to take it and take it and take it and take it and forget what you're going through. Forget that in Rocky Five, he's sitting there trembling and shaking and can't even get out of the shower and he's, he's got brain damage. But no, entertain us. Entertain us. Entertain okay. us. Okay, this no, is no, my no, problem, no. Wrong, wrong. This is my <laughs> issue, okay? This is my issue. Okay. Okay. Back in the day when 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 you had John Carlos, John Smith, oh, yeah. you had black athletes, Jim Brown and them, they performed because they wanted respect for their community. Mm -hmm. They wanted respect for black people. Mm -hmm. And that's why they performed. And that's when I loved watching the Olympics. Cuz was about respect for us. Mm -hmm. Now it's no longer respect for us. Now mm. it's a, it's all about them. It's yeah. all about how they are. It's not about the black black community. It's 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 not having respect for for us anymore. It's just about them, yeah. and that's why when you asked me what I thought about it, I said that's why I'm like eh, because before when you saw John Carlos standing to put his fist up, you're like yes, yeah, yeah. yes, that's us, yes. Yes. Right, we don't have we don't have those athletes anymore. Now it's just about them and, and their brand and making mm. money, and it's it's no longer about having fighting for respect for the community and black people. And that's mm. why I'm like, eh, okay. I feel you. Uh, ironically, I saw an interview with um he he's a uh, Dr. John Carlos now I think Dr. John Carlos and um. Mm -hmm. He was pretty supportive of um, Biles. Uh, I thought it was a feel-good story, but before y'all go, I just want to show y'all this. If this if this doesn't give y'all the feels, ladies and gentlemen, I don't know what will. Uh, Tamara Mensa Stock after winning her gold medal. Check this out. Hi, Tamara. Hi. Congratulations. Thank you. How are you feeling? I'm feeling very happy, and I keep trying not to cry, but it keeps happening. <laughs> I just want to go into a dark room and just cry. Uh, I've been crying from joy. I was going to say tears of joy. Let me ask you this. You started wrestling in the 10th grade. You are now an Olympic gold medalist. Describe the ride. Uh, why? Because I knew I could do it. When I first started wrestling, I felt that I could be an Olympic champ. So I kept going. I did it. Damn right you did. <laughs> Tamara, I know you lost your father in high school. How do you think he would be responding right now? Seeing you on top of the podium here, coming up. <laughs> he would have been the loudest one here. He would be so proud. He would be so happy. <laughs> He's from Ghana, too. <laughs> he... Don't say this out loud, but like he he like he was like enemies in Nigeria, so <laughs> it's kind of like poetic that I had to wrestle Nigeria in the finals. All right, so her opponent was from uh, Nigeria. Uh, she beat her four to one. Uh, even Jeffrey Keller had to be moved by that. Jeffrey Keller, come on, that was well, a first, moving first, speech. <laughs> first, first off, first of all, 
can can the guy interviewer get her name right? Right. I was thinking the same thing. It's not Tamara, it's Tamara. Tamara Mensa Stocks. Okay, Tamara Mensa Stock. And she is married, ladies and gentlemen. She's the sister is married and uh she's from Texas. Yes, go ahead. But this this is the important part with her. She was the first black woman to win a gold for Team USA in freestyle wrestling, which is beautiful. Mm-hmm. But what uh, I'm just mad because the guy interviewed didn't get her name right. Come on, we're going to be the sister. At least get her name right. Get her name right. She's she just gonna... won the gold. Absolutely. Exactly. Put some respect on her name. Put some respect right? on the name. Yes. If her name was Tammy, you wouldn't have messed it up. <laughs> Karen. <laughs> Karen. Absolutely. And I know y'all going to rush out to see that film. Did it come out yet, Karen? Oh, anyway, that that trailer was was really bad. Lori, uh, were you feeling that by Tamara Mensa Stock? <laughs> Absolutely. That was just wonderful and heartwarming and inspiring and encouraging. And that's that's what you want to see from the Olympics. You know, that's yes. the kind of stuff that, that we expect and that we would want to see and be a part of. And, you know, I, I, I thought that was really, really beautiful. Yeah. Well, uh, God bless America. Um, <laughs> we, we, we come and screw everybody else. And screw everybody else. Absolutely. Absolutely. Spend all that money on them athletes. Forget the people that are starving in the streets. Hey, yeah, that's why Jeffrey <laughs> Keller don't care. I mean, at the end of the day, what really matters, right? What, what's right. really important? What's, what's the important stuff? You're absolutely right, Jeff Keller. I, I, I ain't mad at you. But, Lori, Jeff, I can't thank you enough for joining us again with uh, Psychotic Bump School. And uh, thank you for traversing the earth with me to, to, to find these stories and provide this incredible commentary. Uh, Lori and Jeff, will you join us again on Psychotic Bump School? Absolutely. Man, we God willing. God <laughs> is willing because God is great. This is KCWG, the truth.com's program is called Psychotic Bump School. I'm DJ Rome. That was Lori Peacock and the incomparably God-fearing Jeffrey Keller. <laughs> Stay tuned for more. We'll be right back after this. This is Hannibal Taboo. This is DeMar Douglas, and you're listening to Psychotic Bump School, the place where education and entertainment meet at the intersection of funk and soul. Yes, we are back. KCWG, the truth.com's program is called Psychotic Bump School. I'm DJ Rome. And ladies and gentlemen, you know I have a soft spot for uh, for the arts. You know what I'm saying? The, uh, the comics have been uh, a recent uh, uh, departure of mine that I really... You know, it's I, I approach it with a bit of funk lore, as I call it. You know, it's, it's, it's a form of escapism. I love it. It's so creative and imaginative. And uh, I have a special guest here who's been here multiple times helping us. And we have a very special guest here with him for the very first time. So uh, they're here to talk about their latest project on the operative network called False Flag. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome back to Psychotic Bump School, my good brother, Mr. Hannibal Taboo. Mr. Taboo, are you there? Yes, sir, I am. Thank you so much for having me. Man, it's always a joy to hear that voice. You know, you got the power throat going on, good brother. Uh, you came with someone this time, and I am very proud to welcome him along with you. Uh, this good brother is the illustrator, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, he has completed the painting. Uh, very colorful uh, illustrator this good brother is, and I'm happy to hear about how you two came together, and I'm going to hear it straight from both he and you. Mr. Taboo. So, ladies and gentlemen, please help me welcome for the very first time to Psychotic Bump School, our good brother, Mr. DeMar Douglas. Mr. Douglas, are you there? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Thank you for having me. Appreciate it. Oh, man. You got it, man. Well, it's a pleasure to have you on board, Psychotic Bump School. So, uh, who wants to start? DeMar, Hannibal, how'd this uh, collaboration between the two of you come to be? Who wants to well, take that I'll, one? 
I'll let DeMar talk about how we met and then I'll, I'll go into how we developed the project. Oh, can't wait to hear about it. Mr. Douglas, how'd this all come to be? Um, well, I met, um, I've been a fan of um, Hannibal's work for uh, many moons, right? So um, my, my good friend Ishmael Street was doing a, um, he has a podcast called Dad Is Not A Now. Um, and I've featured on there a few times and it deals with parenthood and, um, and creativity and pursuing your goals and stuff like that, following your wow. dreams. Mm-hmm. So um, he knows I was, you know, been a fan or, or whatever, and I'm a super comic book head. Um, so he hooked it up to where I was able to do a, a live drawing um, to go, like to celebrate um, Hannibal's um, release of the um, what's it, the ML? I forget MPLSM. the Yeah, that's it. <laughs> so um, I was doing a Prince um, portrait um, digitally, um, so it aired on the screen, and we talked and. Um, Cool brother. So I was like, you know, it's kind of like, you know, that thing, never meet your heroes. That's not true. Um, (laughs) You should be surprised and really impressed with, you know, genuine, genuine human beings, you know. So Mm. we started talking and um, offered, you know, the potential of um, collaboration. And um, we started chopping it up and came up with some magic. Wow. So it, it breaks the the taboo, uh, pun intended, Mister Douglas. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> Me, meeting Mister Taboo was not a disappointment, then, right? <laughs> All right. So how does an artist and Hannibal? I'm gonna I'm bring you in on this one too. How do you do that then, Demar? How do you capture feel? Because I have said on this show many, many times, and throughout my DJ career. When 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 producers were digging for re- and Hannibal, you're a DJ, so you can connect yes, to this. Too. When when DJs dig for records and they're trying to find that hot little loop or sample in an old jazz record, they're looking for something that they can't find in modern music. And I wager that it's feel. That's why Kanye West records were so big because he was sampling soul music, mm-hmm. where you have real vocalists, real guitar strings, real bass guitar strings, real drums real orchestras, real horn section, and you have all of these elements that don't sound synthesized with the keyboard. They want that feel because it's natural. How in the world does an artist convey feel in that way? For me, um, the, to, to convey feel, um, is, it starts with being an observer. Um, okay. So people watch, movie watch, comic watch, whatever, you know, it, it, it soaks into like my soul. And I, I'm, 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 my moniker is the painter of dreams because I have a fine art background as well. Right. Um, so it's always this, this, this visual, this dream I have that is a deeper introspective perception of what I've soaked up in life. So, I mean, it can, sometimes just sparks of gradual conversation. Like he for example, I have this portrait of, um, I remember Obama said, it was about Trayvon Martin. He had mentioned, Trayvon Martin could look like my son. Don't quote me on the exact verbiage, but it was something mm-hmm. to that. Um, so that comment sparked a dream I had later that night. Mm-hmm. And the next, I woke up on my sleep, did a couple of sketches. And then that, that quote became, uh, this painting I called uh, uh, The Suspicious Patriot, where I had my son, actually at the time he was like seven, I blindfolded him with the, with the do-rag 
and then made the do-rag look like the uh, like the American flag. But mm. I had a new behind him in the background with a city background. And then it was kind of like you're kind of blind to society to what's going on. He had a hoodie on. It was, it was kind of reminiscent to the whole Trayvon Martin and then the social constructs that we live within and the perceptions of, you know, how it, the whole, the country was kind of divided on the mm-hmm. whole Trayvon danger ground or, or not decisions and stuff like that. So little things like that become, you know, I, I grab, I gravitate to that and find the feeling, find what makes me almost tear up sometimes when I'm painting a little emo in that way. It's like hearing the, you know, like hearing a good, <laughs> a good oldie song and hey. uh, where you're hearing the Stevie Wonder or you go through a breakup and you hear some good Stevie Wonder song and it like, you kind of missed up a little bit. Hmm. That feeling is what I try to convey in my artwork. Wow. Humanity. Hannibal Taboo. Yeah, well, because when he said that, I immediately thought, where were you when I needed you last winter? But anyway. Um, Come on. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I thought I was going to be there for summer, right? <laughs> so, I mean, it wow. gets cold all year round some places. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> nice. with, what, uh, with what he's saying with that, first of all, if that, paint, if that painting is not available as a print, we, I'm going to get with you so we can get that, so people can buy that online, because that's an important piece of art that people need to see. But um, towards the process that we work with, uh, I will talk about a story coming up on uh, eight, on on the twentieth, on August twentieth. There'll be a new story uh, posted for False Flag called "Daddy Lessons," and it features uh, a painting that Demar did of a character in this uh, book that's called Black Fury. And Black Fury, and I can announce this here for the first time that no one has ever heard me say these words out loud. Yeah, Black Fury is going to be played by an actor named Damien Poitier. Damien Poitier played Thanos in the first Avengers movie and the tail end. Uh, hmm. He has also played uh, Chains in the Payday video game series. He was in Captain America, uh, 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 was it Civil War? Winter Soldier? No, it was Civil War. Yeah, he was in Captain America Civil wait, War. Wait, 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 wait. Uh, the, the dude that played Thanos was uh, the big Brolin, wasn't it? That He was cast after. Brolin wasn't cast until like seven years after the Avengers movie. Really? In the original Avengers movie, it, the role is played by a brother named Damien Poitier. Yeah, yeah, and he's a very good friend of mine. Wow. And uh, he's, it's funny because he always tells the story, they just needed somebody to come in and do this because they like, oh, we'll cast somebody else later, but we just need to get this done. And mm. we just need to put on this motion capture stuff, turn to the camera and smile like you're, like you're doing something. He's like, okay. And, <laughs> mm. and he wow. did it and it was like this big thing and like the, the checks were noise. So, <laughs> whoa. Okay. Right <laughs> you on. That Avengers hung a billion dollars on them, player. Man, so. you ain't kidding. Oh my God. <laughs> so, Damon, he's a really great friend of mine. We have a lot of projects working together. And I had this, this role that I needed, and I'm trying not to spoil the story, but okay. on the cover of this, uh, on the cover that you'll see on August 20th, He's driving in the the, more, the ridiculous vehicle that he has for uh, his group Danger Watch called the War Pig, which is the name van. And he's driving it, and he's clenching his fist, and he looks really resolute because of something that happens in the story. I'm not gonna spoil it. Okay. And what was important for Demar? Demar was like, "I need you to get this dude to take a, a picture in his car, doing this, doing it." So we gave the actor the feelings, the specific things to do. He took the picture, and Demar magnified that a thousand times. So when you get to the end of the story and you see what actually happened, you're like, oh, oh, 
And I mean, like I got the, I got it in my inbox and I was like, dude, dude, mm. dude I freaking live, dude. Wow. Wow. <laughs> wow. So there's, I mean, so something that I don't want to call it basic, but something that, um, I don't know, just the, the, the traditional eye would look at it sort of non-suspiciously as being something that could have such emotional resonance. Right. But, but between the two of you, just knowing where to look for things really? and how to capture it. I mean, that's an art in itself, isn't it? I mean, what is it about that skill set that, you know, not everybody, people miss out on that stuff. You know what I mean? And they're not able to convey an emotion because you, you just said it just kind of grabs you. Right, Hannibal? Mm -hmm. yeah. it, it just kind of hits you in a spot. And not all comics can do that. Am I wrong? Absolutely. Absolutely. And what what I'll say about Damar in particular, and many of the illustrators I work with, like Quinn McGowan or Robert Roach, is that when you look at these uh, things, and this is what I really wanted Demar to have an opportunity to reach a larger audience. That um, he's been doing this work. He's been this good for years before I met him. I didn't know mm -hmm. he was this good. You didn't know he was this good. Mm -hmm. But uh, in the same way as you see on the Loki show with the, the the variants of He Who Remains or whatever, the question is, what would he have become if he had gotten this opportunity 10, 15 years ago? Where would he be? What would what visual wonders would we have? And wow. I don't want to regret those things that were possibly taken from us. I want to focus on the good that we can do now and mm -hmm. the amazing wealth of talent that he has come as a grown man, as a black man, who is, you know, uh, as a father, who's really developed a life and developed a set of things to say. Uh, and I'll turn it over tomorrow after this last bit. I, was in, I went to go see a screening for uh, the documentary, the show. And Curtis Blow was on stage talking about, it used to be we would go out all week and we would rhyme, um, we would live a regular life, we'd work our job, we'd deal with people. So when we would go out on Friday and Saturday nights, we had something to rhyme about. We had real things that had happened mm. to us that we mm -hmm. could talk about that people could relate to. Mm -hmm. And that, that framing combined with the training, combined with the, the, the skill and the time that DeMar has put in to master his actual craft, which is something you can train, have the real lived life experiences to be able to communicate real emotions to people. Wow. Mr. Douglas. Yes, sir. Man, <laughs> the thank you for that. Who my God. <laughs> like speechless and that doesn't happen too often. Right? Thank you. I appreciate that. It's um it's funny you you mentioned that um I had wrestled within myself for a while. So I mean I have a somewhat of a decent fan base on the internet still want to you know want to grow um and like i said i have a fine art fine art background but i know like when i was out doing shows and touring at jazz festivals and setting up booths and vending um right before the housing crisis hit things was popping and then like yeah. wah, wah, wah. <laughs> you yep. know what i mean like yeah like, and like having insurance it's not necessary which is you know until things start picking back up because people are losing their homes left and right um yes. so that and so th that kind of spiraled me into uh, i guess survival mode my oh, absolutely. craft um amped up from only doing paper pencil oil paintings i started learning graphic design and i'll get logo jobs and you know it's like you build it they'll come kind of thing you know what i mean like mm -hmm. start doing websites uh like i said logos um i started learning digital art at first i was like digital art like it's cheating because <laughs> i thought wow. people were just taking 
(laughs) taking the mouse and taking like clips of this and clips of that and doing photo manipulation. Mm -hmm. But not until I, you know, I kind of got more into it. I actually had a flood in my apartment, which kind of really catapulted Mm -hmm. me right in the same, right in the same like time span. Apartment and I lost thousands of dollars in original artwork. Oh no. This, it was horrible. Man. And why the why the yeah, it was crazy. Um shut me, shut my whole shut my whole operation down. Um I was uh getting my apartment renovated. I picked up my iPad and found this app called Procreate. Um mm. and I started drawing with a stylus. And oh my god, I was like, wow, this is dope. And I was able to travel and go here and go there with the iPad and it just one thing turned to another and then i started picking up children's books and um more cd covers and t-shirt designs and it's like a whole amalgamation of all my skills that i was kind of forced to learn mm-hmm. all its own like life inside of me so it i was able to you know persevere and recover survive and move forward and now i've always had a and like a uh the the thought like there's I don't see a whole lot of African American comic book painters, mm-hmm. um, but like that's the space that you know like Alex Ross dominates like he mentioned um, Jay mm-hmm. Lee, I can't remember Hong Young Lee or there's so many of them that are that I that I can think of but I can't think of a whole lot of African American painters. I'm like out of these forty plus years of my life of preparation to maybe have a voice in this, mm-hmm. you know? Um, I think that any of the urban African-American comic scene um, deserves to be able to you know, have a cover reminiscent to an uh, Alex Ross or better or something in that vein that, you know, that's kind of, you know, it's kind of the, it's been the trend for several moons, but you don't see it that often. So if, you know, if I can okay. find a space in that, I'm here for it. Okay, so I'm gonna ask a silly question. Uh, I have a two-part question. I'm gonna start with the obvious one first. Uh, we're not seeing that many African Americans in this space. Why not? <laughs> in response to your question, why there aren't more Black people in this space, there's three reasons. The uh, mm. reasons are based in knowledge, business, and access. Mm. To start on the first point, um, there's a Razcast line that I quote a lot. It says, "The diameter of your knowledge is the circumference of your activity." So, if Everybody that you know as an artist is white and you're an editor, your, your job is to hire artists, you're gonna hire white artists. If everybody that you've ever met as a writer is white, then you're gonna hire white writers because you know them, you've seen them do work, you know they can get it done on time. And as an editor, you are in a hurry. Everything that you're doing is under a deadline and you don't have time to gamble. So you're not looking for a whole bunch of new people that you don't know. You got, you got no new friends attitude and you need to get this work done. So you're gonna go with names that you can quickly trust. Mm. That means that most of these editors who are hired from these ranks are within this inner clique of people who don't know a lot of black people. They don't get out to uh, the jazz shows where DeMar would be doing his art stuff. They, and, and they're not interested in going to those places because they're alien. Where they are, they can be a star, they can run things. Mm. And getting outside of that comfort zone is bad for both their uh, own levels of social anxiety and their business, which brings us to the second. Um, uh, Once you get past, the business reasons are these. When you're selling comic books, 
you have to sell them not to actual people. People are a cute thing and ultimately matter a little bit, but in comics, the direct market, the publishers sell to retailers. The retailers are thinking, what can I sell easily? So yes, there's a new book, for example, many years ago, Dwayne McDuffie made a, a character named Gravity for Marvel. Yes, there's a new book from Dwayne McDuffie, who at the time hadn't even worked on Justice League, and it's called Gravity, and it's got great art, and it's got an interesting story. Or there's another Wolverine book by somebody that absolutely doesn't matter because nobody cares because it's Wolverine. Mm. Which one are they going to buy more of? They're going to buy the Wolverine book. That's the way to ensure their own economic stability. Yeah. They look for names. They look for recognizable things. And again, if you've continued to hire the same names and continue to hire the same people, then you see a name like Damar Douglas or Hannibal Taboo or even Ken Lashley or even David Walker to certain degrees, who's finally starting to get some shine. And the retailers are more reluctant to buy into that. They're like, well, that's not Scott Snyder. That's not Cully Hamner. I don't, I'm not really sure mm -hmm. what to do about those. Um, mm. And that will limit, if you can't sell something based upon your name, it will limit the jobs that you can get, which brings us to the last area, which is access. Um, mm. One of my partners, Quinn McGowan, lives in Memphis, Tennessee. Uh, where I grew up and he can't he couldn't get to San Diego Comic-Con a lot of times so when editors were sitting around bars cracking jokes with people and getting to like people he wasn't one of them there wasn't anybody black that was one of them because again the comfortable people that they're used to sitting around in a bar with look like them act like them sound like them have ideas like them and give them information like them so these three elements combine to work together to not intentionally but de facto segregate and separate these people from greater creative talents like DeMar that could walk out today. DeMar could give you a Wolverine cover today that would blow your freaking wig back. Mm. But he won't mm -hmm. get the call because the editors don't know who he is. They don't believe he can do it on time. They don't trust his credentials even though they're top-notch and impeccable. Mm. And therefore, mm. that's why the exclusion happens. Amen. And here we stand. Well, that's a great synopsis right there. So, um, wow. Damar and Hannibal, uh, thank you for that education and thank you for the two of you coming together. Uh, false flag. Um, you mentioned a date of August 20 down the stretch, uh, Hannibal Taboo. Uh, is that the timeline for uh, a particular drop that we can expect and anticipate in the near future? I know false flag is available now. Uh, what can we see coming up in the near future from operative uh, featuring uh, Mr. DeMar Douglas, Hannibal Taboo. Here's the fun part. Every Friday, like clockwork, at midnight Eastern time for the next, um, at least until, at least until like late October, there'll be a free story published on Operative Network. Every Friday, like clockwork, no questions asked. Wow. I'm giving these things out for the culture. We're putting this out for the culture because I want to expose more people to DeMar's work and I want to expose this idea to something. We have, I've already told you about Damien Poitier and, and that he's already uh, yes. given his visage to a character. He will be doing more with that, I believe, next year. Uh, and that's not an announcement I'm prepared to make yet. There's yeah. another um, on September 10th, I'm looking. There's going to be another casting announcement uh, that I'm not at liberty to say just yet, but that okay. uh, is going to be, a, I'm, I'm enormously excited to be working with this person. She's very talented. And uh, we're gonna keep on making this into a bigger thing. Uh, so uh, this, is, this is like what they say, the first hit's free and everything else you gotta pay for. No so doubt. All this, I'm gonna give this to y'all for free. Go have it, go <laughs> stay warm in the winter with this for free. 
Right. But next year, you're ready to take the, get this work. Oh, yeah. We, we're going to have to tax y'all next time. That's what's up. That's what's up. Well, uh, that's why I keep inviting you back, good brother. Um, you're a blessing to the culture. And now you've introduced us to the incomparable talents of Mr. DeMar Douglas. DeMar Douglas, final thoughts from you. Uh, what's coming up for you in the uh, stratosphere of Operative Network? And uh, what you got going on for yourself, good brother? Um, for me, uh, I'm here for whatever, you know, Operative needs me for. Um, yes, sir. Very, very attached to the uh, the False Flag Project. Um, it's a get in there uh some live uh photo shoots uh eventually hint hint um <laughs> uh -oh. about to tell all the business now <laughs> right yeah are you gonna break that down you're just gonna leave us hanging like that now nah, i definitely want to you know continue to elevate the craft you know what i mean um i want to try to push my limits to levels that i'm not even aware that i can do with this project um and it's it's coming <laughs> so I, I can't wait i'm looking forward to it uh, when i first told him i was like yo i want to get put on with you know the operatives eventually hopefully so mm -hmm. like whatever i can do i know if this one's like jump me on or or how, mm -hmm. how that works but, <laughs> right <laughs> right it's a beautiful you know, thing man I'm, I'm glad this has worked out because it's not a lot of people in these spaces obviously uh damar obviously you know what i'm saying and i know hannibal's yeah. been out there for a while um I don't know if it, it kind of general generalizes. I can't say the word. It, I mean, Hannibal Taboo must be like the godfather of uh, of our industry to a certain extent, right? I mean, Ooh. I say our industry to a certain degree. I mean, is, is that too much praise to heap up on you, good brother, Mr. Hannibal? As long as Christopher Priest is still walking around, yeah, it is. Because, you know, uh, All due every, respect. every footstep I walk in, I, Christopher Priest did it first. Dwayne McDuffie was right behind him. Uh, uh, Reginald Hudland and um, mm. uh, Michael Davis, Derek Dingle, uh, Dennis Cowan, uh, Kim Lashley, David Walker. There are so many names ahead of me in this that I'm just trying to shine uh, that light. In the same way that Dwayne himself took me to lunch and tried to school me on game and reached out and said, yo, let me help you and see what you can do with this. The same way Jeffrey Thorne, the TV writer, does with me. I'm trying to pay that forward and reach out to new voices and make sure that they have an opportunity to reach these audiences as well. Hey, man, was among those artists you just mentioned, uh, I used to read this comic called Brother Man in the 90s. Was were those artists and illustrators anywhere in that tribute? I don't know. I, I, I've lost all those comics or I can't recall. Be, uh, them. That would be the Davis brothers and the, uh, Davis the, brothers. the, lead, the lead brother Dawood is the uh, artist on there. And uh, I definitely don't want to short their uh, uh, contributions or act like I don't remember or, or don't appreciate it because I've yes. just been able to meet them in person and whatever. Uh, there are there are more names than I could even begin to. to, to Absolutely, uh, Blame the head, are, at the heart. Yeah, I, I went through people that I've literally just talked to fairly recently, or have been working on stuff regarding them fairly recently. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, mm -hmm. and Dwayne is always very heavy on my mind because you know he was taken from us so soon. Uh, oh, right. But, on. Yeah, yeah. The, the 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 Davis brothers and and I mean you could also talk about the Mad Twins with Blockheads. You could talk about. There's like a thousand projects that we could probably run down. Right. I don't know if your show is that long. <laughs> well, it's long enough for Operative and uh, Hannibal Taboo and whoever you want to be bring through here, good brother, because you've graced us with plenty of commentary throughout the years. You know what I'm saying? If Suicide Squad can be trending over the weekend, I don't know how good that project is. I'm probably not going to go watch it. People take chances on stuff all the time, Hannibal. 
I mean, you told us at the end of Wonder Woman 1984, they already cleared it, you know, budget wise for a sequel. And that one was very, it was very questionable <laughs> as to whether or not that was even warranted. Don't have to prove anything. And then, oh, and then Scarlet suing Dis. Okay, never mind. I, I don't even want to go on. There's a lot going on. There's a lot going on. It's a lot going on. But I'm just happy to have you here. Damar, it's a pleasure to meet you, good brother. What's the best way to keep in touch with you, Hannibal? Uh, how do people find Operative on the World Wide Web? Sure thing. The Operative Network is uh, www.operative.net. And on Twitter, that is also Operative uh, Net, one word, just Operative and then N E T. Um, I believe on Instagram, it's Operative Network, or is it? No, it's operative. It's operative net on uh, Instagram too. I'm thinking about Tumblr. Sorry, um, mm -hmm. and yeah, you can find me as outside Hannibal Taboo. I'm gonna get off this call and try to see if Demar stuff is available for sale online. And if it's not, we will be working on that this week. Uh, on. <laughs> people need to be able to get his prints at the house, and uh, so they can throw them up on their wall. And yeah. uh, False Flag will be releasing on False Flag Friday, every Friday until uh, at least November, uh, for free on OperativeNet.net. Wow. I'm seeing something that says an average Thursday, part one of two. That's that's a direct tip to uh, the current issue, but it comes out yeah. on Fridays. Is that what's going on? Yeah. yeah, it's because the story occurred on a on a Thursday night. So uh, I didn't want to screw with that and <laughs> uh, mix up the streams. But yeah, there's uh, an average Thursday will be part one of two. Uh, part two drops this Friday at midnight Eastern time. Uh, the week after that, you'll get two installments of Daddy Lessons. Uh, I think there's three installments of the Power Summit after that, which is November, I'm sorry, September 10th. Uh, mm -hmm. Beach Party USA, which I just got Demar's art from, and it is bananas, <laughs> is wow. October 1st. And uh, Azores, which is the last, uh, which is the season finale, will be on uh, releasing on October 22nd, all on, for free on operative.net. Wow, get it while you can, y'all. Well, thank you, good brother, Mr. Hannibal Taboo. Demar Douglas, final thoughts from you? Oh man, just um grateful to be in this space. Uh, salute to, to, to Hannibal and, and yourself. I, I appreciate the opportunity. Um, you can find me at demardouglas.com, uh, D E M A R D O U G L A S. And then I'm at Demar Douglas on every other social media um, that you can think of. If I'm not there, and, uh, mostly Facebook and, uh, and Instagram. And I just made a TikTok. Uh oh. You get into uh -oh. these spaces, good brother. I'm not even on TikTok, but oh my God, you are expanding your horizons, good brother. And it seems like you're with the rising tide of Operative.net and uh, Hannibal Taboo. Continue success to you, good brother. Thank you for joining us. You know you're welcome back here anytime. Hannibal will tell you, man, I'm always bugging Hannibal, dude. Always. <laughs> I'm always. Man, and I, I appreciate you, Hannibal. And thank you for introducing me to uh, Mr. Douglas. Will you both come back and join us sometime on Psychotic Bump School? Absolutely. Absolutely. Appreciate you both. This is KCWG, the truth.com. Program's called Psychotic Bump School. I'm DJ Rome. That was the good brother Hannibal Taboo and the incomparable Damar Douglas. Stay tuned for more. We're right back after this. This is Amber Ojeda, and you're listening to Psychotic Bump School with your host, DJ Rome, on KCWG, the truth.com, the best internet radio station on the planet.
This is Vince Durrell, and you're listening to Psychotic Bump School with your host, DJ Rome on KCWG, thetruth.com, the best internet radio station on the planet, baby. I was raised in California, uh, in the city by the sea, city by the sea. next door hustlers and killers, yeah. They never did bother me, no He said, boy, just keep on singing Yeah And your dream gon' set you free Oh, no, no, no Took a chance and traveled the whole world Yeah And now my family proud of me So I'm singing, hello, Ellie Did you miss me? Well, I had to go stack, but I'm glad to be back here rocking with you again. Hello, Ellie. Oh, see you shining. See you shining. Sorry that I can't stay, cause I gotta get paid. I'll see you when I'm back again. Took a flight to a foreign land. Yes, I did. I had to go find myself. That's when your boy became a man. Oh, yeah. Put my fears up on the shelf, yeah, yeah. And now I'm rocking on many stages in the year to my life. Still, it ain't no place like home, y'all. And now I know that I'm blessed as I head back west singing, Hello, Ellie. Did you miss me? Did you miss me? Well, I had to go stack, but I'm glad to be back here rocking with you again. Hello, Ellie. Oh, see you shining. See you shining. Sorry that I can't stay, cause I gotta get paid. I'll see you when I'm back again. First stop, Mama House. Then pull the whip out. 101 North here, Sunset Boulevard. Summertime freaks come out. Call my boy Lee up. He got the daytime turn up, turn up. House full of baddies Skirt off in the caddy Look, first stop mama house Then pull a whip out Head to the 110 South 101 North in Sunset Boulevard Summertime freaks come out Call my boy Lee up, turn up House full of baddies, no doubt Hit the mic, GS on the west side Your homeboy's back Hello, Hello. Did you miss me? Did yeah. you miss me? I had to go stack, but I'm glad to be back here rocking yeah. with you again. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, Can even get some of this Beverly Hills, Santa Monica. Yeah, yeah, we good. We good. Let's do this. Come okay, on. we are back. KCWG, the truth.com's program's called Psychotic Bump School. I'm DJ Rome. And ladies and gentlemen, 
I, we, we have a very special guest on the line right here. There's nothing like the quintessential summertime groove. You know, every once in a while, no matter what generation you're in, you always are looking for that summer anthem when this time of the year comes around. We have an artist that's been in the game for a little bit, and uh, he's got some brand new tracks that he's recently released, courtesy of our, courtesy of our good sister, uh, Octavia Landix. I'll tell you more about her in just a second. But ladies and gentlemen, please help me welcome for the very first time to Psychotic Bump School, the good brother, Mr. Vince Durrell. Mr. Durrell, are you there? Yes, sir. How you doing? Oh, we cool in the game, good brother. How's it going with you? Oh, very well. Fantastic, even. Oh, man. Well, uh, before we uh, hit the timer, I know you said you're on the East Coast. How in the world is it going on in uh, Georgia, where you are? It's heck of hot where I am up here in Northern Cali. What's it feel like down there where you are? Um, You know, it, it's been raining quite a bit, and uh, today, oh. it's like it's sunny, but it's humid. Oh, okay. Humid down. Oh, it's humid. Okay. Well, uh, welcome aboard, good brother. So your artistry has taken you to a multitude of places, and I want to hear a little bit about your career and life. But before we get into that, what was it that brought you to Georgia during this day and time? Well, um, as you know, I was living in uh, Europe, in uh, England more specifically. Uh -huh. And uh, when the pandemic hit, I, I had to come back to the States. Because yes, uh, all the work dried up, there were no theaters, and you know I did a lot of cruises, and those stopped. So I had to come home. Um, I, I came back to L.A. originally, and uh, my best friend had a house in Georgia, and he was mm -hmm. like, "Man, I got a big house, man. Come on, come on to Georgia." Mm -hmm. I, said, I said, "You know what? I wanted to come to Atlanta. Uh, I've been wanting to go to Atlanta for a while. So let me go on and uh, see what that's about." So uh, I've been here for like a little over a year now. Man, what's it like? I've had a couple of people that made that transition from Southern Cali or Cali in general to Atlanta, GA. Uh, what differences do you notice that you really enjoy? Um, where we live, it's just a lot more uh, spread out country. I kind of like that quiet, you know, to be yeah. able to go home to the quiet and then go into the city to do business and come back out. So I do like that bit of it. Um, as far as uh, business, there's a lot of black business going on out here. Yeah. And uh, I can appreciate that. Mm. You know, it's like a very, very, uh, uh, for a long time, it's been an entrepreneurial spirit out here. Yeah. And uh, I had visited a while back and I said, you know what, I, I want to be a part of that. And then, uh, sorry, uh, Tyler Perry with his studio, you know, and all the big yes. things that he's. I thought, you know what, I'm an actor, writer, and a singer, so I think uh, I, I want to be close to that action, you know what I mean? Absolutely. Absolutely. They're calling that the uh, Hollywood of the South now. So I've been yeah. trying to get down there. Is it open? Have you been able to visit the uh, the Tyler Perry Studios? I haven't gone there yet. Um, mm -hmm. I've just been really trying to, uh, trying to make money and, uh, you know, stay afloat. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's certainly understood. Um, you, you're right where you need to be, good brother. Um, you talked about Europe and some of your travels uh, on behalf of your music, no doubt. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about your travels and music? How did you get your start in music, your musical influences? Um, let's take us back a little bit, good brother. What is uh, the, the genesis, the, the origin story of the great Vince Burrell, good brother? What can you tell us? Okay, we'd have to take it way, way back. Way, way back. <laughs> 
without uh, really dating myself, but um, some of my influences are people like Marvin Gaye, Al Green, uh, Stevie Wonder, probably my top favorite. Uh, yeah. I, I love the uh, writing style of uh, of uh, Lionel Richie. Ah. You know? Yeah. What is it about I, his writing that you like? Well, you know what? I understood that uh, if you want to really make the big money, it's to cross over. Hmm. Not pigeonhole yourself into one genre, and he was able to cross over into country and pop and soul, and and that's kind of my my vibe. I want to be eclectic and, and reach everybody, and then mm-hmm. you know, big paycheck. Yeah, hey. crossover used to be a dirty word, but Lionel Richie, ladies and gentlemen, that Mr. Burrell is talking about, former lead singer of the Commodores, he sang on a song that's one of my favorites called "Fancy Dancer." He didn't sing "Brick House," but he was on "Brick House." But yeah. Lionel Richie, that dude was funky, man. He had a track called Fancy Dancer, and y'all wouldn't believe the southern funky draw that this guy has if all you heard was all night long, <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. That can write and could do it all. But, but you're talking about the versatility and the, the ability to reach as broad an audience as you can, right? Absolutely. Yeah, now ain't nothing wrong with that. So what what is it about that, though, that makes it such a frowned upon ambition for a singer such as yourself? I don't know. Growing up, um, you know, it was like black artists were put into a kind of a category. Like, okay, if you you black, you got to do soul. You got to do just that or R and B. And and I, I I love all of that. Don't right. get me wrong. I don't want to be pigeonholed in that way. I don't want to be held down in any kind of way. Absolutely. So I want to be able to. Well, my experience actually has been gospel, jazz, R and B, pop, uh, soft rock. You know, mm-hmm. I have a multitude of uh, uh, musical experience, mm-hmm. so I want to be able to express that through my artistry. Oh, absolutely. Now, them cats come from the South, um, either Mississippi or Alabama. I can't recall. Uh, what part of the United States are you from originally? Texas. See, that's yeah. Southern, that Southern stuff, man. Okay. Yeah. So growing up, you know, being exposed to all those uh, wonderful styles of music, you were singing gospel and jazz and, you know, rock, mm-hmm. soft rock, as you put it. Um, when did your talent started to get noticed when you were in Texas? Well, I didn't grow up in Texas. I was just born there and left when I was about six. So mm-hmm. really, uh, uh, my grooming happened in, in Long Beach, California. Oh, there we go. Uh, but uh, th- my southern roots were definitely there. And then, you know, mm-hmm. being in church and gospel and things like that uh, mm-hmm. was definitely an influence. But uh, growing up, I just kind of listened to everything. Yes. And uh, I can say around 14, I really knew I had something special. Mm. You know, that, that was when my writing started. And, uh, you know, I dabbled in hip hop. And, you know, I, 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 I don't know. I'm, I'm just a kind of a all over the place type of personality, mm. it's, you know, <laughs> so it kind of reflects in the music. Oh, no doubt. And, no doubt. Yes. Yeah, so about 14, I guess I was I started really focusing on it. Mm. But coming up in the, the church as you did and singing gospel, you were around a lot of live instrumentation too. So how yeah. much how much of that along with your songwriting? Because you, you got a songwriter's ear too. So how much of mm-hmm. that do you think plays into the, the Vince Burrell uh style and musical makeup? Uh, I think it has a great deal of uh, influence because uh, 
again, I come from an era when live music was uh, was it, you know, yeah, man. all the bands, you know, of the 80s and 70s and things. Man. Uh, so, yeah, uh, gospel music went, went right along with that. Mm-hmm. And uh, I picked up a couple of instruments or two. And I was I wondering about fish, that. But I play a little guitar, a little piano, a little drums. Oh, right on. Yeah. Right on. Did you ever play in church or you just use your vocals for church? Just, just the vocals. Right on. Right on. Okay. So in what way did that enhance your songwriting? And when you do sit down to put pen to paper and put your ideas on paper, uh, how what's the nearest instrument to you if you ever want to match the lyrics with a chordal progression? Is it usually guitar, uh, keyboard, uh, or even drums? Keyboard. Keyboard. Okay. But... Okay. Um, I'm I'm better at guitar than I am at keyboard. You know, but it's just I'm, something I'm, about I'm, finding I'm, the notes on the keyboard. It's a little easier when you're trying to uh, right. craft a song sometime. Exactly. Yes. Ah. Okay. So you say you picked it up. Are you self-taught? Yeah. That's self-taught. Crazy. Yeah. That's the way we're we're such a talented people, man. We're such Absolutely. a talented people. So Lionel and some of the other cats are your influences, but who else in your family, your your bloodline, has the the musical pedigree as you? Was anybody else just kind of shaping that and kind of encouraging and pushing that along? Well, growing up, my mother and her siblings all sang. She comes from uh, nine siblings, mm-hmm. and they all sang, you know. And so that was mm-hmm. kind of an influence. I would watch my mother and my aunts sing together mm-hmm. and i just love that uh there's nothing like a family blend you know Ooh. harmony and Man. uh yeah so so i'd say my mom really yeah yeah yeah, man, you, you you nailed something right there we've talked about that on this show quite a bit groups like the silvers who are from california yeah Man, that that was my group right there they played instruments too but the great leon silvers uh, oh yeah and his writer man yeah, man. But they can sing, though, those harmonies. I mean, I love the Jackson 5. I love Michael, Jermaine, Tito, and them. <laughs> and them. But the Silvers, that was my group. Why? Yeah. Because of what you just said. That family harmony, man. It's nothing like singing with family. Yeah. Because it's like, like one bar, voice. Bro. Yeah, it's like one voice split in five different ways. You know what I'm saying? Exactly. Ooh. Yeah. It, it gives you goosebumps when you just hear the sound. Did you happen to see that? I know I'm, I'm gonna come back to you. Did you happen to see Erica Badu singing with her or her daughters once? It was like a little viral clip that she put up. I'm not sure what platform it was. No, no, no. I'm sorry. It was Lauren Hill. Lauren Hill. And she put no. up. Yeah, man. She put up a video of herself. Uh, she was playing guitar to that thing. You know, one of her biggest hits yeah. from Miss Education. And she had all of her daughters around her, man. And they were they can all sing. And it was wow. like, whoa, they sound like her. Right. <laughs> it's crazy. Now, it's crazy. I got yeah. a question for you. Yes, sir. Have, have you seen Wanye's kids? He has like five kids to sing together. Okay, you saying Wanye from Boys to Men? Wanye Morris, yeah. No, I haven't. He has a check, check, check them out. I think they're called uh, uh, Juan Moore or something like that. Really? Yeah. Okay. But there's there's five of them. Are they, and all, they all, all? And they all can blow. It's crazy. They can blow. Uh, sons and daughters, or just all sons. But there's four sons and one daughter that sings in that group. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Beautiful. And and they they can go just like him. 
they can go. Talk to us a little bit about the struggle of the independent artists and knowing that you're up against the machinery of an industry that has its, its, its formula down. And if an artist doesn't fit exactly into their idea of what you should be doing with your talent, it's, it's going to create some challenges for somebody like you who has a bit of a ability, well, not a little bit, who has the ability to do a lot on your own, right? So what challenges yeah. did you face, you know, as an independent artist coming up in this business? Well, I can tell you, um, I had, uh, I, won't, I won't name the label, but I, I had a meeting at a label, you know, major label. I'm there in the A&R's office. Now, I play him a song that has got crazy buzz around the city, you know, because I would perform this song all the time uh, just, just around L.A. And so a friend of mine knew the A&R guy at this label. So he took me in. We sit down and uh, we play the song. And then he says to me, oh, kids ain't going to want to to this. Mm. I was like, I was like, really, is that my goal to make kids want to get busy? Mm. And uh, that got kind of put a bad taste in my mouth, you know, and it uh, it kind of left me a little bit uh, like like I didn't want to do it anymore. Mm. I said, man, this is, you know, I'd heard stories and these situations where uh, where artists get taken advantage of by labels. Mm -hmm. And uh, After that, I, I left. I left and went to England. <laughs> That's what's up. OK, what year are we talking? 2005. 2005. So what was popping musically back then? Because he's saying yours, in his view, your sound back then wasn't in lockstep with what was popping in 2005. What was popping? I'm trying to think. What was hot uh, back in 2005? Neo was just getting really hot. Okay. Neo. Okay. Got it. Um, but he he compared my... He, he played the track uh, by Sunshine Anderson. Kind uh -huh. of Heard it all before. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he's like, "This is what you need to be doing." Mm. I'm like, "I'm not her," and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm myself. I'm different. Right. And uh, right. he's like, "Yeah, you're different, but you gotta be hot." I was like, "This mm. is the word on the street. This is hot. Come on, right, man. right." So he, he wasn't really being uh, objective, you know. Mm. And I think he he kind of had this. Uh, I got this position, so I'm gonna just throw my weight around type of attitude. Right. You know, and, and that kind of really turned me off. Yeah. So uh, upon that meeting, um, and so was that the final straw? What was the final straw that got you on a plane to uh, That was that was it, you know, and um there there had been instances uh prior to that, you know, where we were at the mercy of the label. I, I was in a group mm -hmm. and uh we were we were being shopped around Hollywood and getting rejected everywhere and mm -hmm. you know i couldn't understand why because we was like I, I would say we would have been the next boys to men i mean wow. we, like i said we were an acapella group so mm -hmm. our, our harmonies and blend was so tight it was undeniable mm -hmm. but we kept getting turned down for whatever reason whatever politics i don't know mm. but i just grew kind of weary at the time and, and that was kind of the final straw and Mm. I said, I need to do something else. Mm -hmm. And uh, I got an opportunity to uh, to go to England. I said, well, maybe it'll be different over here. You know, I can go over here and get a different vibe and, and whatnot. So I, I went. Mm. 
Well, how did that door open to you? Was there people actively pursuing you to come out there in the first place, or you just kind of just said, mm, let me go just go test the waters elsewhere? No, I had a brother that, uh, I have a brother that was there. Mm -hmm. uh, he was uh, stationed in the military. He was in the uh, Air Force. Oh, okay. And he kind of, you know, uh, he said, you know what, why don't you come out here and see how it goes? Mm -hmm. I said, why not? So I did it. Wow. I ended up uh, ended up with the Motown Tribute Act, mm. and uh, that's where I ended up doing all the traveling and stuff. They were they were busy doing tours and stuff like that, so mm. okay. kind of went in that direction. And uh, I actually almost just said, you know what, I'm gonna just do this for the rest of my life. Just tour with this Tribute Act, and you know, have a have a steady. I'm doing what I love to do, mm. but the writing side got pushed to the back yes and i didn't i didn't like that so i said you know what i gotta get back to me mm. and after a while, I, I had to get back to doing me so how long did you do that how long uh 13 years 13 years uh what did you learn during that time because they say it takes what ten thousand hours i mean you already had those ten thousand hours logged oh. locked and loaded when you got on the plane to Europe, but what did you learn during those 13 years? What I learned was uh, professionalism. Mm. The importance of uh, your word being your bond and, and showing up on time. Okay. The guy that I worked for, he was a stickler for all of that. Mm -hmm. and, uh, the group that I had been to in prior to was just kind of all over the place. We were guys that sang on the street and sometimes we late to gigs and lose gigs and all this kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. So I learned how to be disciplined and mm -hmm. and have a, a you know, a, a, an eagle eye focus. Right. Right. Do you think yeah. that could have worked over in the That's United right. States? Sorry. I was wondering, do you think that same um, opportunity would have manifested in the United States? What was different about the, the European crowd? Were they more receptive to that Motown tribute act compared to what would have been possible in the United States? They were seem to be. It's like they they have this thing for nostalgia, mm -hmm. and they really appreciate live music. Yeah, and so um, there's artists like uh, Alexander O'Neill that's over there touring mm. and 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 making it very well. Nice. Uh, I met Shalimar over there. Ooh, there. yes. Uh, Gwen Gwen Dickey from uh, what was it? Oh, Rolls Royce. Rolls Royce. She's over there. Oh, snap. Yeah. So people that you think have fallen off is over there making money. Okay. What iteration of Shalimar was there? We we talking lead singer Howard Hewitt? There with... was Howard Hewitt. There was Jeffrey Daniels and another lady. I, another I lady. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Wow. All right. All right. When they think, and, and a lot of the older groups like uh, Stylistics over there too. They were there killing it, huh? Yeah, big time. Well, well received. Every time. It's crazy. Pack the house, well received. Yeah. See, that's beautiful. So, so I did notice that as a difference. I don't know. I mean, we love it too mm -hmm. here, but uh, I don't know. It's just, I don't know. We, we, we like the next best thing, seem like more so. Oh, man. Yeah, and you notice Tina Turner, when she moved over there, uh, Vince, she never came back. Because the yeah. love you get over there, it's, it's just not the same. You don't need a hit record on the chart to be relevant over there. They just, like you said, 
they love the nostalgia of you and they just love you. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And yeah. That, that's a beautiful thing. Well, you, uh, wow, thank you for that musical history into the, the journey of you, good brother. Uh, you have this latest project out uh, that you worked on with our good sister, engineer and producer, Octavia Landix. Can you talk to us about that a little bit? How did that project come to be? Um, I actually wrote uh, the song Hello LA uh, while I was over there about three years ago. Mm. And I worked with a young producer named Callum. Uh, he goes by Cali Beats. Uh, okay. We put the song together, and uh, it's basically a story about my travels from uh, coming home every year to renew my visa and then going back. So every time I come home to LA, it was like a homecoming. Mm. It was like, "Hello, LA, I'm back," you know. Ah. And then uh, I had done some work with uh, Octavia uh, in years pre prior. Now, I knew that she was. Uh, a great engineer and things like that. And I wanted to get the song uh, beefed up and uh, ready for release. Mm -hmm. So I went to her and um, we we retracked the vocals, stacked them and and, and she mixed it and mastered it. And uh, we went through her uh, publishing company to put it out. Mm. Okay. Mm -hmm. How would you describe, how would you describe this song? I kind of tipped my hand a little bit when I kind of described it as a summer jam. How would you describe it? It's definitely a summer jam. It's a feel good song. Uh, um, when I first came up with the idea, I had the uh, Earth, Wind and Fire in mind. Uh, Devotion. Ah, okay. Da, 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 da. You know, yes, yeah. And so it kind of gave me that kind of a vibe when I finished it. Mm -hmm. You know, the track, the track ended up being different than that, but uh, melodically, it was kind of in there with with uh, devotion. Mm. But uh, I had a um, interview the other day, and the interviewer described it as. Uh, I think you accidentally muted yourself. Uh, I, I <laughs> uh, how did he describe it? It's something that uh, is kind of like uh, anthem mm -hmm. by the court, and I think that uh, a TV show like maybe Good Morning LA or something like that could use it as a as a theme. Oh, no doubt. No yeah, doubt. yeah. It's one of those. Uh, you're absolutely definitely a seasonal jam, but you know you could actually bump it any time of the year if you know LA. Uh, right. as apparently Vince Durrell does because when you break down the description of being on those highways and that, that traffic yeah. and you know just naming off all those places and cities man I'm like man this cat is from my spot I mean <laughs> yeah. he's describing home and there's there's nothing like uh, a, a moment of uh, musical history uh, captured nostalgically in a, in a song I mean that's that's like Randy Newman saying I love LA and it's like yeah. Yeah, Everybody yeah, knows yeah. that song, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. yeah Everybody yeah, knows yeah. that song, and now we got "Hello LA" by uh, Vince Durrell. Uh, good brother, I really appreciate you being here. Um, what's the, and you know we we definitely gonna bump the track uh, for show, but uh, what's the best way for people to follow you, keep in touch with your career, and uh, follow your work, good brother? Okay, um, if you Google Vince Durrell, that's D U R R E L L, um, you'll get all of the uh, 
uh, social media and music that's on online and all that. But uh, if you want, if you're on Instagram, I'm at at V Darrell. Mm. And if you want uh, on Facebook, I'm at uh, Vince Soulstar Darrell. That's what's up. Uh, if I could say one more thing. Yeah, go ahead. There's a project that I did in London, Garcia Walker Darrell. Yes, sir. And it's a project I got with these uh, producers and writers. And I was the vocalist on the project. Mm-hmm. And uh, they put it out as an album just last week. Mm. And uh, it went to number one on the soul, UK Soul Chart already. That's what's up, man. Yeah, that's so cool. if you guys want to check that out, that's a, that's out there and available as well. There's nothing left to say. our show y'all psychotic bump school is the place where education and entertainment meet at the intersection of funk and soul my name is dj rome and you know we're here every monday evening from 5 30 p.m to 7 p.m pacific time check back with us we shall return next week also want to thank our very special guest for the evening mr damar douglas hannibal taboo Lori peacock jeffrey keller and of course the good brother mr vince Durrell. also want to send a very special shout out to mr frank starks who is the iron man behind the board And we're out of here, y'all. Take care.